it took us all by surprise. And it and this is not false humility. It takes me completely by surprise every year. Welcome to another episode of Live Through That, the companion podcast to my book of the same name where I look at influential 90s musicians and where they are today. I'm your host, Mike Hipple, and on this podcast, we'll dig a little deeper into a pivotal moment into the lives of some of the artists I feature in the book, as well as artists whom I love and respect. Today's episode is our special Christmas episode. I'm actually not a huge fan of Christmas songs. I find them to be a little too similar with the bells and the sparkly musical bits. I'm not a Scrooge per se, but it's generally not my thing. Um, But I do have a handful of songs I love at this time of year, and at the top of that list is The Waitress's Christmas Wrapping. It was initially released in 1981 and has gone on to become a seasonal classic. It's been covered by everyone from the Spice Girls to Kylie Minogue and Iggy Pop, but really nothing compares to the original. And our guest today is the guitarist of The Waitresses and the songwriter of Christmas Wrapping, Chris Butler. Our label head, Michael Zilka, came up with an idea. He said, hey, I'm going to uh, ask all of our artists to write Christmas songs and we shall make a Christmas album. Now, we were working our tails off. Our actual LP was in the can, but uh, couldn't be released because Michael's label had lost its distribution. And we were working uh, to plug I Know What Boys Like. So I kind of, or we kind of needed this like a hole in the head. Uh, hopefully, hopefully he would, you know, abandon the idea, forget about it. And we would just carry on and wait for our record to come out in the, the following year. So here we are out on the road and, uh, you know, coming back at some point in August of 81, and Michael contacts us and says, I have booked you into Electric Ladyland. Uh, what? what? Yeah, for to record the Christmas song. And oh, man, okay. Michael Zilka was the head of ZE Records, which released the album that Christmas Wrapping was first included on. It was a compilation album that also featured tracks from Alan Vega, Christina, and Nona Hendrix. In 1981, I was, my bands were, and my record label were getting amazing press, but we were really not getting any sales. And um, I needed to find some kind of commercial hook to sort of hopefully, you know, gussy up sales and so that Chris Blackwell would keep financing my label because I was distributed by Ireland and in return he'd been financing me but my debt was getting considerable. And it occurred to me that there had been Christmas albums in the past, notably Phil Spector's, and that they'd been really cool. So the 
the thing about a Christmas album is you've got to record it in April and May. So it's not necessarily at a time when you're feeling particularly Christmassy. And also in the case of my bands, they wouldn't necessarily be associated with Christmas that much because some of them were quite dark. And we had also just released a compilation called Mutant Disco, which had been a big success. And so I thought compilations were a good way of showing what we were doing and showcasing the label. So I asked all of my artists if they would do a Christmas song. And um, they all seemed puzzled by it, but at the same time, you know, it's not like there was any reason not to do a Christmas song. And Christmas songs, it, it's always interesting to sort of, I think I, I think it's always in, interesting to write something on commission as opposed to, you know, just sort of do it in a vacuum because it focuses you in a way. So um, each of them wrote a Christmas song and Christmas rapping was Chris Butler's. Uh, I had to cobble together something and I worked at the time by kind of grunting into cassettes then fight until I came up with something and then uh, try to expand it into a song. I had a couple riffs lying around and uh, I am very much, a, at the time, I was very much a Scrooge and Christmas was always a pain in the neck for me because of uh, kind of my crappy family and uh, it just, you know, I never, I was always broke around Christmas time and I had to buy presents for people that I didn't really care for. And so Christmas was kind of a downer. So uh, I, I, I decided to, to write uh, against my own uh, a type and do something that was hopeful and upbeat but also capture my exhaustion at the time. So along comes uh, the idea of, a, of an O. Henry twist and someone who just doesn't want to hear about it uh, this year, uh, being 81, and just go to just celebrate in her own way um, on her own. And uh, literally throwing together lyrics uh, stream of consciousness and it is a cliche but I did finish them uh, in the taxi cab on the way over to the studio now our band um, were a bunch of pros so we certainly did uh, rehearse and come up with something we also even though it was, it was a we thought a throwaway project we were going to give it our all because we're pros and at, at, at the rehearsal, uh, I had a, a, a guitar part and a horn lick and the, the very beginnings of a bass line just and kind of threw it at the band and said, you know, do something with this, please. And they did. And uh, we wound up at Electric Lady with a wonderful engineer producer, Mike Frondelli. And I think we, they gave us three days. So the first day was the backing track, 
secondary vocals, and third day was mixing. There it is. We thought, okay, we've done our bit and uh, turned it in and went back out on the road and promptly forgot about it. And now that's also a cliche, but it's true. It was like, all right, we've done our bit for the label. Let's get back to business. That's how the song came about. Here's Michael Zilka again. It fit well on the album. It really was more upbeat than a lot of the others. The song that closed the album, It's a Big Country, by David Sigerson was also fairly upbeat, but some of the others weren't. I think what was great about Christmas rapping is that it, it wasn't cynical at all, and it wasn't dour. It was just upbeat, happy, a love story, everything a Christmas song should really be. Christmas Wrapping was released in 1981, and it took off that holiday season. I remember being in Rochester, New York, at the end of this, at the end of November, or maybe early December, and I called, we were playing a show, and I called my girlfriend at the time, and said, um, you know, just checking in, and she said, man, you are all over the radio. And I thought, ah, finally, all this humping of, of um, uh, I Know What Boys Like has paid off. And she said, no, no, your Christmas song, Christmas song, that thing. Oh, Jesus. Um, well, we uh, relearned it at Soundcheck and then played it that night. And it stayed in our repertoire uh, until we imploded. So it took us all by surprise. And... Uh, it and this is not false humility. It takes me completely by surprise every year um, to to have come up with something that uh, uh, was considered um, an okay tune, but uh, and I'm 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 reluctant to use the word throwaway, but but a side uh, you know a side project you know a bit of a non sequitur to what we were doing. You know, to have that stick in the culture um, is is pretty amazing and humbling, to be honest. <laughs> you should only make records that you love, because then if they don't sell, you're still left with something that you're proud of. If you do something just because you think it'll sell and then it doesn't, then you're left with nothing. It's, you know, air quotes, classic. Uh, wow. And and if I knew, if, if I had known that it was going to, you know, have a, a long life, I would not have date stamped it. You know, I said, no, most of 81 is along those lines, right? I would have, you know, most of this year or something like that. But the lyric says 81. So maybe that's part of, of the nostalgic appeal. I'm not sure. The creation of the song was truly a band effort. Real credit goes to uh, Tracy Wormworth, who, you know, made, this is a song that people listen to just because of the bass line. I mean, she was fabulous as a player and really took my little kind of grunting and, and, and made it her own. And uh, I did come up with the horn line, but Mars uh, should, should be credited with the, the arrangement on the harmonies. It's triple tracked. Uh, he played uh, tenor and alto. 
we had our friend Dave Buck on trumpet, and Mars did the arrangement uh, of, of of the harmonies. And uh, boy, it was it was um, it, it came together quickly. The thing that I've noticed is the things that have stuck were things that were, uh, were written when I was under pressure or a hard deadline. Christmas wrapping uh, was definitely under a hard deadline. Square pegs was, <laughs> we had l- literally three or four hours to come up with something. And while the band was kind of uh, relaxing at the pool, I'm sweating away in m- my hotel room trying to come up with something in mid-afternoon because the TV producers had booked us into Motown West Studios at seven o'clock that evening. So I think I think what seems to work uh, for me is um, being under pressure. I can write under pressure. The songs that I labor over and that are um, a luxury or self-indulgent for myself or, or really pleasurable to write uh, have never seemed to have the same impact as as things that like you know the gun is to your head first thought best thought you have to go with it and um it's done what does chris think makes a song such an enduring classic well i think and i've and i've and i've thought about this a lot because i'm not really sure and i've asked other people and i i know that um i'm still i'm no i'm not a scrooge i'm a i'm a I'm a Scrooge in recovery, all right? (laughs) That song sounds so great over a car radio when it's, uh, you know, compressed and EQ'd by a a radio station. It just roars, and it's hard not to to feel uh, excited or moved by it. But that doesn't answer the question of why why it's stuck to the culture. I, I think, I think one, one possible answer would be that, that, People want to know that there's a force for good working in the background. And uh, the song, you know, is all about missed connections. But uh, towards the end, you, you you know, the rap is the wrapping around WRAP of the story with the kind of O. Henry ending where try as you might, you can't connect, but, but uh, some kind of force in the background, whether it's, you know the Christmas spirit, or you know whatever uh, whatever spiritual entity or thing you think works in your life, that it's there and it's working for you constantly. That you can't even screw it up. That something good is working in the background that will make everything turn out all right. In the years that followed its release, the song only grew in popularity and eventually became the Christmas classic that it is today. In my mind, the holiday season doesn't really begin until I hear this song. But there's more to the story of how Chris became the artist he is today. In 1970, he was a student at Kent State University when four people were killed and nine others wounded by the Ohio National Guard during a protest at the school. 
Also at the school at the time were other students who would later go on to become popular musicians, Chrissy Hine from The Pretenders, members of Devo, and Joe Walsh. This event proved to be a pivotal moment for Chris. Jeff Miller. Jeff Miller was a friend of mine, and um, uh, I was with him up until the we, we separated briefly um, during the commotion, and I did not learn that he was murdered until the six o'clock news, because there was uh, such a, such a um, commotion and panic and uh, disbelief that uh, my girlfriend at the time and I uh, had to take off because uh, the FBI was everywhere. CIA was everywhere. There were agent provocateurs. And uh, obviously after the, after the, I mean, I, I'm, I'm here by the grace of, of uh, whatever, because I ducked and Jeff didn't. Um, When the shooting started, I heard someone yell, there are the shooting blanks. And I, uh, thought, oh, maybe not. And I ducked behind a car and the glass uh, above me, uh, bullets went through the glass and I was covered with um, broken glass. And I was about 20 feet from where uh, Allison Krauss was murdered. Didn't know it at the time. And uh, yeah, Jeff, uh, we had just separated briefly and... Um, then on, you know, seeing Walter Cronkite uh, talking about this horrible event, and there's his picture. So, yeah, dark day, dark, dark, dark day, and a dark day for so many people. Um, Terry Hind, Chrissy Hind, um, uh, Jerry Casale uh, from Devo, um, Mark Mothersbaugh from Devo, Joe Walsh. All of us uh, experienced this horror, and uh, it, it grew you up real fast. It's 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 almost too much for um, any nineteen twenty year old, and um, it was too much for me. I have PTSD uh, because of um, that experience, and it is the single most profound determinist experience in my life because. It set me down a path that I didn't think I was going to go. Um, I had to find an an, uh, individual identity and uh, line of work because I could not find any place for myself in a culture that tried to kill me. Absolutely. Um, uh, not just music, but, but, uh, a much larger fine, uh, making a niche, um, the way, uh, it, it, it's parallel to everyone I mentioned because, uh, we not only, uh, had to, you know, either write songs or get uh, good on an instrument, we had to carve out some kind of alternative career, um, uh, alternative space, uh, Devo being the most extreme 
um, example of it because they uh, invented an entire alternate universe uh, with its own language and uh, costumes and aesthetic and they they were the masters of it and an inspiration to me because we had to find a space for ourselves um, that, 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 that was not uh, conventional because uh, the hostility uh, uh, and uh, unwelcome, you know, um, okay, extreme alienation uh, after that incident means you have to you have to find your own way and uh, and not let the bitterness and anger consume you. You have to use it to construct some kind of life, good life and uh, space space for you to create if you were creative in this case, all these folks I mentioned um, are very creative, but you need room. And you need uh, you need to survive, but you need to uh, prosper and flourish. And you have to fight. You have to fight for that. Well, you know the thing about Kent State is you you always feel like you know you have to make up for lost time, and and the time is extremely precious. And if you if you have ideas, if you want to have do fun, creative things, you better do them. Uh, there is no no. Uh, those National Guard bullets, you know, if they, they killed, they killed four people and wounded what thirteen, but it also killed uh, no. It killed uh, anything about accepting denial or being denied or thwarted or frustrated. Uh, if you burn to do something or create something, absolutely, uh, you have to give it a hundred percent all the time and every day and every second. You know, to live, to live when others didn't, is a great responsibility, frankly. At 73, Chris is still active creatively, still writing music, playing drums, and even making short films, and says he's in the midst of one of the most creative periods in his life. Thank you to Chris for telling his story on the creation of a Christmas classic, and to Michael Zilka for sharing his recollections as well. Just a reminder that my book on 90s artists, Live Through That, makes a great holiday gift for the music fan on your list. And from now through January 3rd, you can get 40% off by using the code HOLIDAY40 at the link in the show notes. In addition, my earlier book, 80s Redux, is available wherever you buy your books and also makes a great gift. If you like this show, please subscribe so you'll know when the latest episode comes out. You can also follow me on Twitter and Facebook at Mike Hipple Photo, all one word. Thanks for listening.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.